Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Today's story is The Princess and the Frog, as told by Nanny Piggins. It was late in the greenhouse. The children should have been in bed hours ago, but Nanny Piggins has got it into her head that she wanted to try a new chocolate cake recipe. It had suddenly occurred to her at breakfast that chocolate cake might be even better if you added more chocolate. So they'd spent the entire day experimenting, trying to see how far they could push the chocolate-to-cake ratio, before the cake passed from being chocolate cake into being chocolate-containing cake crumbs. They tried several hundred variations and rigorously tested eight, all of them. But they were still no closer to having a definitive answer, possibly because they consumed so much sugar it had become very hard to think. They were at this moment waiting for their latest creation to bake in the oven. Nanny Piggins was not good at waiting. Do we have to bake it, she asked. Couldn't we just eat the batter? It's only going to take ten more minutes, said Derek. Well, what are we going to do for ten whole minutes, wailed Nanny Piggins. Ten minutes isn't that long, said Samantha reasonably. It is for a pig, said Nanny Piggins. This confused Michael. But isn't ten minutes ten minutes for everyone? No, not at all, said Nanny Piggins. Time slows down for pigs when we're waiting for cake or our favourite TV show. It becomes unbearably slow and impossible to endure. Oh, like a maths class, said Michael, with great understanding. Exactly, said Nanny Piggins. She'd never been taught maths herself, but it sounded like an unbearable torture, almost as bad as not eating cake. Why don't you tell us a story to take your mind off it, suggested Derek. Yes, please, said Samantha. They all love Nanny Piggins' stories. Hmm, said Nanny Piggins. I suppose that might take my mind off my overwhelming urge to rip open the oven door and plunge my face into the delicious chocolatey batter, at least for a few minutes. Oh, good, said Michael. Once upon a time there was a princess, began Nanny Piggins. She was so beautiful on the outside. Her hair was so blonde, her face was so symmetrical, her eyes were so sparkly, it was positively nauseating. Just looking at her made you want to vomit. That's a bit harsh, Nanny Piggins, said Derek. Oh, I know, said Nanny Piggins. As an incredibly beautiful person myself, it pains me to have to speak negatively about a fellow stunningly fabulous beauty. But it is wrong to lie. And flawed characters make for much more interesting stories. So this is this princess's flaw, that she was so perfectly beautiful, it was unbearable. Except, of course, for her parents. It's so often the way, if someone is insufferable, the only two people in the world not to notice are that person's own two parents. Our father doesn't feel that way about us, said Samantha, sadly. No, your father is a special case, agreed Nanny Piggins. But you have barely any flaws, at least not since I arrived and started raising you properly, as a pig should be raised. But we're not pigs, said Michael. Oh, I know, said Nanny Piggins, but I try to overlook that and not hold it against you. She patted Michael's hand kindly and went back to eating her chocolate mousse. But what about the story, asked Derek. What story, snapped Nanny Piggins. She didn't like to be disturbed when she was eating, but she was so often eating, sometimes it just had to be done. 
You were telling us a story about an annoyingly beautiful princess. Oh, yes, remembered Nanny Piggins, and deluded parents. And that was indeed the case here. The king and queen were so enamoured with their daughter's beauty and sweetness and good manners, they gave her everything. Everything, asked Michael. He liked the idea of parents who would give him everything he wanted to eat. Literally everything, said Nanny Piggins. Everything they could think of ever getting her, she was showered with. When she was a little girl, it was dollies and ribbons and new dresses. When she was older, it was beach holidays and jewellery and bigger dresses. And men to carry her on a special chair when her legs were too beautiful to use for walking. But by the time she came of age, they'd struck a problem. They had given her absolutely everything they could think of. Each year, when her birthday came round, they were really scratching their heads, trying to think up something new. I mean, how many solid platinum, diamond-studded hair dryers does one 18-year-old need? She already had six convertible sports cars, ten ponies, one in each shade so she could match her pony to her mood, and a dress made of a silk that came from silkworms who had been force-fed rubies. The girl had everything. So when her 18th birthday came around, they were stuck. What were they going to give her? Also, the royal coffers were a little low. It cost a lot feeding ten polo ponies and silkworms that only eat precious stones. Plus, the king had a problem. He'd lost a billion dollars down the back of the couch, and he didn't have the courage to confront the cleaner and ask if she'd stolen it. It was actually still down the back of the couch, but he had such a sheltered life, he didn't know how to remove the sofa cushions to check. He thought only a fully qualified cleaner could perform such a task. Anyway, he and the Queen had to get their daughter a present, and they didn't know what to do. Then the King had a brilliant idea. He'd give his daughter the same present he was given when he turned 18. So he went down to his present room. A present room, asked Derek. Yes, he had a special room in the palace, explained Nanny Piggins. It was 50 metres by 50 metres, as big as a football stadium, and was packed to the ceiling with all the gifts he had ever been given by his own parents, by other kings and queens visiting from other countries, by ambitious parents trying to get him to marry their daughters. He'd received tens of thousands of gifts in his lifetime. They'd all been dutifully catalogued by the gift guardian, a person whose job it was just to look after his presents. So the king simply went to the aisle dedicated to presents given to him in his 18th year, found the present labelled that it was from his own parents and presented that to his daughter. Wow, it's a golden ball, said the princess. The king smiled proudly. Does it do something, asked the princess. Does it open up? Are there jewels inside or a trained singing monkey or something? She banged the ball on the table a few times to see if it would crack open and reveal an entertaining animal. No, it's a ball made of solid gold, said the king. His daughter still looked puzzled. The king realised that the gift-giving wasn't going as well as he had expected. Most people like being given things made of solid gold, he said, starting to sound a bit sulky. Oh, it's lovely, said the princess, very shiny, but um, what am I meant to do with it? I don't know, said the king. He'd been royalty his whole life, so he didn't know anything about normal activities. It's a ball. I suppose you're meant to throw it or something. Aren't there these things called ball games? I believe so, said the princess. She weighed it in her hand. You know, gold is actually worth a lot of money. Mm, What? asked the queen. Money, said the princess. It's something poor people don't have a lot of, but when they get it, they use it to swap it for things they want. How intriguing, said the Queen. So I could take this gold ball, swap it for lots of money and use that money to buy lots of chocolate, said the Princess. No, you can't do that, said the King. It's a gift. And it's a lovely gift, said the Princess. But it would be even lovelier once I've converted it to chocolate. 
I absolutely forbid you to sell that ball, said the king. You are an ungrateful princess. You can go and play with it in the garden like a normal princess. Fine, said the princess. She shook it in her hand. How does this ball game thing work again? You throw it and catch it, said the king. Fine, I can be normal, said the princess. I'll go and play throwy catch-catch like a normal person. So the princess went out into the royal garden, muttering to herself about fathers and what nincompoops they could be, while practising this game her father had spoken of, throwy-catchy-throw. She'd never played any game before, so it took her a while to figure it out. She had to propel the ball quickly upwards, let go, and wait until the ball lost all its upward momentum and fell back down again, whereupon she had to clasp it quickly before it fell to the floor, or worse, onto her silk-slippered feet. This was a lot harder than it sounded because the ball was made of solid gold, and gold weighs a lot. In addition, the princess had never done anything involving hand-eye coordination before. So, on just her third throw, the ball slipped through her fingers as she tried to catch it and fell into the royal fish pond in the centre of the royal garden. Oh, fiddlestick, said the princess. This was the worst word she knew, so for her this was a dreadful outbreak of swearing. She went over to the pond and peered in. There was not much to see because this was the royal fish pond and no member of the royal family would ever put their hand in a pond to clean it. They were too royal for that. Therefore, in the entire history of the royal fish pond, no one had ever cleaned out the royal fish poo. It was disgusting. You couldn't see the bottom. You could barely see the ball. The water was so filthy. It had sunk into the deep mud of fish poo at the bottom. Oh dear, if selling the ball to buy chocolate made Daddy cross, said the princess, I'm sure dropping the ball in fish poo will make him furious. What am I going to do? Ribbit, said a nearby frog. Not now, said the princess, I'm trying to think. Ribbit, repeated the frog, I can get it for you. I beg your pardon, said the princess. I can get the ball, said the frog. No, I mean, I beg your pardon, how can you talk if you're a frog, said the princess. I have mysterious secrets, Ribbit, said the frog mysteriously. Oh, said the princess. She could tell the frog wanted her to ask more follow-up questions, but she only had 20 minutes until the chocolate shop closed and she didn't want to get into it with him. Well, if you could fetch the ball for me, that would be jolly kind. Thank you. I'll do it in exchange, Ribbit, for a kiss, said the frog. Kiss what, said the princess, not following the unexpected turn in the conversation. You kiss me, said the frog, as a reward for me fetching the ball, Ribbit. Oh, gross, said the princess. It's not my fault I'm a frog, said the frog. Not because you're a frog, said the princess, because that's harassment. Blackmailing a girl into kissing you? That is so not cool, dude. Do you want that ball or not, Ribbit, said the frog. I don't want it that much, said the princess. If you're a gentleman, you would fetch it for me just because I asked nicely. I'm not a gentleman, said the frog. I'm a frog. But I don't want to kiss you. You're green and slimy and covered in warts, said the princess. They're not warts, they're camouflage, said the frog. You say potato, I say potato, said the princess. It's ten minutes until the chocolate shop closes. If you want to get there in time, you better hurry up and kiss me, said the frog. Ugh, fine, said the princess. She leaned in to kiss the frog, then paused. You aren't going to take a photo of this and put it on Instagram, are you? I don't have a phone, an Instagram account, or opposable thumbs, the frog reminded her. All right, said the princess. She leaned in, closed her eyes, tried not to breathe through her nose, and gave the frog the quickest, least lip contact kiss ever in the history of kisses. And kapow! There was a flash of light, a puff of smoke, and the frog instantly turned into a handsome prince, asked Samantha. Why, yes, he was, said Nanny Piggins. How did you know? I've heard a similar story before, admitted Samantha. You're quite right, said Nanny Piggins. The frog had become the most handsome man on the face of the entire earth. He was staggeringly attractive. 
Gosh, said the princess, taken aback at the power of her kiss. Thank you, said the prince. I was cursed by a wicked witch to be a frog until a beautiful princess came along and kissed me. You have broken the enchantment. You have made me a man again. He dropped to one knee. Will you marry me? Not now, said the princess. You haven't got me my ball yet. She pointed to the spot where her ball was still submerged in the fish muck. Didn't you hear me, said the prince. I just propose. No, I heard, said the princess, but I don't want marriage. I just want my ball. The prince turned and looked at the submerged ball. I'm not getting that for you. It's covered in fish poo. You were living in that five seconds ago, the princess reminded him. But I'm a prince now, said the prince, and your future husband. I'm not marrying a man who can't keep a simple promise to pick up a ball, said the princess. I don't like gooey things, protested the prince. If I kiss you again, will you turn back into a frog, asked the princess. That's not how it works, said the prince. The princess grabbed him by the head and kissed him anyway, just to be sure. Nothing happened. Bother, said the princess. So will you come with me now to my kingdom to meet my parents, said the prince. Will they fetch my ball, asked the princess. No, said the prince. Then no, said the princess. I'll fetch the ball myself. She hitched up her skirt and stepped into the pond. I'll have you know that 10,000 silkworms had to eat a very unpalatable diet to make this gown. And if it's ruined, that's entirely your fault. So she waded across the pond, grabbed the ball, went to the chocolate shop and lived happily ever after as a single lady with a massive supply of chocolate so big that it never ran out. The end. I hope you learned something from that story, children, said Nanny Piggins. To be grateful for birthday presents, asked Samantha. To not kiss frogs, guessed Derek. To put on rubber boots before you step into a pond, said Michael. No, 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 said Nanny Piggins, although they are all good lessons too. But the most important lesson to be learned from this story is... When your birthday's approaching, be sure to tell all your relatives not to worry about your present. Instead, give them a photograph of exactly which box of chocolates they must get you, so there are no nasty mistakes. The children nodded at this sage wisdom, and Samantha even wrote it down on the back of her hand. The end, time for bed, said Nanny Piggins. Thank you for listening. To support this podcast, just buy a book by me, R.A. Spratt. There's lots to choose from, from across the Nanny Piggins, Friday Barnes and Pesky Kids series. You can order them through your local bookstore or go to my website, raspratt.com, and click on the book depository banner. They've got all my titles and free international shipping. That's it for now. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.